Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. Hello, this is Elizabeth Dale Phillips. My book, Have She Known Will Travel? The Story of 12 Bluebells Touring Italy in 1960 will be released September 28th. It can be purchased from Amazon and other sites and in the US can be ordered from your local independent bookstore. My book is a pretty accurate record of one period with one troupe of Bluebell girls. And I see the Bluebells Forever podcast as a similar record, but encompassing so much more. It's a Bluebell treasury. So when patron membership in the podcast was first offered, I snapped it up. I didn't think twice. Of course, I wanted to support the project. And my cup runneth over. Not only do I feel virtuous for supporting the podcast, I also get to enjoy bonus material. There's Circleback, where twice a month, Sherry re-interviews one of her earlier podcast guests. Sherry and her guest, now very comfortable with each other, build on the first interview. Maybe new areas, maybe a deeper dive. Can be surprising, offbeat, jaw-dropping, always fascinating. Then comes Showgirl in Training, where I learn once a month what it takes to be a cabaret dancer in 2021. Hard work. That too is fascinating. And once a month, I get to join Sherry and Anne Green in Happy Hour. Short videos where two very good friends, who also happen to be two very bright, funny women, sit in a garden and chat about their lives in the theatre. So there you have it. Lots of reasons to become a patron. Bye. All right. Mm -hmm. So I am really honoured to have public speaker, former Bluebell, former flight attendant and did I say public speaker yet? Public speaker, <laughs> Rowena Harker, leader. Thank you for doing this. And I, I was before we recorded. I said I hadn't really seen you on the Bluebell feed until I saw the cover of your book, and the photo is amazing. You look like a supermodel. And then I'm like, oh, she has a book. And so I ordered the book for me, and I got it a couple weeks ago. And I was laughing out loud. Uh, your humor, your humor is like, I resonate with this humor and there's something of these pictures. You're so glamorous and you're living this glamorous life and you have this innocence, this naivete, but also this, I don't know, I'm gonna say boldness and the things that you're saying, I'm like, I don't laugh out loud in books very often. I think it was every other page I was laughing out loud, especially when it goes to your letters to your parents and to your, your lovers. Um, oh my gosh. So I'm really thrilled that you say, said yes, because I'm like, I really want to know who this author is. Um, so I'm glad to be here. <laughs> so good. So before, before I asked Rowena, those of you listening to actually read some excerpts from her book, because now that I hear you speak, I love to read books, hearing that person's voice in my head with their accent or their cadence when I read it. So this will be fun. So I only have a few chapters left. But I yes. wanted to read the back of your book so people know what, what's in store for them of hearing your interview. <laughs> um, so this is on the, and your book is called Love and Laughter Around the World. And so this is, this book is printed in large letters for easy reading. It does not contain swear words, violence, explicit sex, rape, physical or mental abuse, and has no dramatic story. It should be read on a beach or before falling asleep. Okay, I love that. It is not a motivational book, no mention of following your dreams reaching for the stars, being your own person. Much better to be kind to everyone and smile a lot. 
Life is then easier and the previous cliches will probably happen. Life could have been so much easier living in this area. It could only have been conservative with a capital C. Oh, wait, what is, did I miss something there? Life could have been, if I could only have been a conservative with a capital C and a lesbian. That's like Men. a Republican. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Men and two generations behind women in evolution. Most still think war is a practical solution. I love other people's babies as long as other people are holding them. <laughs> One is often asked, what did you do in the 60s? My answer, I danced my way through the 60s. I drank my way through the 60s and I bonked my way through the 60s. <laughs> oh my God. There's a lot of that good stuff in your book. I never read a horoscope, but firmly believe in earth, air, fire, and water. Example, I, earth needs water, fire needs air. And then next, always have an affair with an Italian, but never marry one. Ditto, a Swede, French, German, Greek, South African. <laughs> and then kindness and empathy are the most important attributes to a happier life. Exercise at least 10 minutes a day, but not much more. Life is easier with prayer. Okay, just that part will make people want to read this book because, I, so. I mean, you it could read like, um, you know, linear, I did this and then I did this. Yours kind of like you go into past tense, present, like you say into the present. Uh, and it's kind of fun because it goes back and forth, which makes the development of your character really fun. Yes. Yes. So I first want to ask what motivated you to, to put this in book form to actually write your story down? Well, I've been a public speaker for about 20 years, just over 20 years. I talk to large women's groups and things. And I suddenly realized that if I had a pound or a dollar for every person that has said to me, have you written a book? I'd be very rich, you know. So <laughs> I just suddenly decided in 2017 to write a book and I started writing it and, and, and I was really enjoying it. And I researched it and got, you know, all my letters out and I was having a high old time writing this book. And I did it for about two or three months and, and wrote uh, perhaps two thirds of it. And then life took over. My husband is American. <laughs> he was born in Brooklyn, in New York. And um, we've been married for only uh, 49 years. Mm. Yeah, when I think about it. Anyway, if, uh, and so um, he, he became considerably iller and got worse. And so I had to put the book totally on the back burner. And then, of course, COVID struck. And then we were locked in and et cetera. And so I came back to my book because I had been told that I really should carry on doing it. A friend who was a publisher, she wanted me to do it. So I did it and it's worked, you know, and I, I just love it. I had so much fun. I mean, most people during COVID have had a terrible time. And I really had a lovely time because if you look at the back of the book, I got I had a, did it very specially with all the names of people who bought my book in advance so this is really a way you must remember everybody that it is a way of publishing a book i had virtually paid for half more than half the publication of my book before i'd even taken it to the publishers because all these friends i sent out a general email and I thought maybe 20 or 15, 20, 30, perhaps at the most would respond. And for and unbelievably about, I think there are 90, 80 to 90 names here. And they all sent me, sent me money in advance, 15, 20 pounds in advance. 
So as I say, I paid for more than half the publishing and they've got their names in my book, which they love. They're all subscribers. It's, all, it's, it's a very that's, good way of publishing. That's really, really <laughs> smart. I know. Well, they, did you self-publish or did you have a publisher? I, no, the I editor? Didn't, no, no, I had, I had somebody who, uh, I have a, a friend down who lives about a mile and a half away and she, she, she likes to publish books. And so she, she edited it and did most of the work. And then I took it to the printers. I knew the printers very well. And I took it to them and I got all this money in the bank to print, to print it. So I thought, whoopee, I'll go ahead. And then I, and then, and it works so well. <laughs> That is, that is real. I've never heard anybody do that. That's really no, smart. I've never heard of anybody doing it. I hadn't heard of it. I, I had no intentions of doing it until I was with a friend whose husband writes. And he said, you know, he said, I think you should get subscribers. I said, what are you talking about? And he said, told me. And then I realized that absolutely I could do that. And I did. And it worked. Oh <laughs> and I'm writing a second book now. Are you? Is it? Yes. I, finished, I finished in when I got married, you see, when I met Bob. I finished my life, but then there was a huge amount after that because I became the musical director of our, our arts festival here, you know, and I did that for 18 years. And I met all sorts of famous people there because I booked so many people and famous artists and performers. <laughs> it's so, it's such a fun, like even just the first part and to know you went on and did more exciting oh, yes. things because yes. uh, I think I brought this up with a few people, like I've interviewed people in their 80s. And how it was very different for women. Like yeah. I'm, I'm a child of the eighties when I did my first show, it was hello Hollywood, my first bluebell show. Um, yeah. But it was kind of like most of my friends all went, they were going to college or they were going to be moms. There wasn't people like, I'm going to go travel. It, yeah. I was kind of, and I came from a small town. So it was bizarre to my classmates yeah. that I would leave my hometown but that's that's the 80s. You did this in the 50s. I did this in the 50s. I yeah, never, like how my village. <laughs> It was unusual, right? Were there people around? Yes, you that had done I mean, when I like left this? the village, because my village here, I was born here, and my father and my grandfather were born in this village in the Yorkshire Dales. Uh, I don't know if you've seen a program on television called All Creatures Great and Small. Yeah. It's James Herriot's books. Well, they're filming. All that's filmed in Grassington, half a mile from where I'm sitting now. It's all it's all our village. They can't, you know, they take over the village. And so I was born here. So I always wanted to know what was over the hills and over the seas and over the oceans, because geography was my big subject at school. I could name the capital of every oh. state in America when I was 13 years old. <laughs> that's part in your... I think you say that twice in the book because I'm going to go to the United, because when you went to, we won't yeah. give too much away. We'll get to, to tell that, like to go to Vegas. Like, well, I already know the capitals. I, <laughs> that part made me laugh out loud because I think um, people in America barely know the capitals. You pass a test and you're known and then you never do it again. So that, that wanderlust because there really wasn't ways for women, unless you're married and you go like, your husband's your husband. in the military. Yeah. yeah but for a yeah, woman yeah. to do that. Boring. Really yeah. You don't, you don't want a husband to get in the way. <laughs> your it was in the very first or second page when you were talking about growing old gracefully yeah and, and how you said like I don't know how you, you can't and you're talking about like caring for your husband like you weren't making things like all sparkly you were saying the reality of like I know I was, aging I was telling you how it is 
<laughs> anybody, with like, a, anybody with a 96-year-old husband knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's nothing graceful or I've, charming no. and romantic. In I've decided really that when you get married, that all, hus- all old men should really go to a desert island when they're 90 <laughs> and look after themselves, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, they might not know that. I really I know, think I've, that. <laughs> I've been a, wi- a widow for 13 oh. years and oh, I'm really? 61. So people talk about would oh, I want to marry God. or date. And, but I'm like, I just the thought of even men my age or a little older. I'm like, no, that's not looking so good unless I found oh. a young a young one. <laughs> but it's I just like, as men are and aging, you, I'm like, mm, maybe I don't really, want to be a caretaker. How long were you married, Cherry? How 21 years. Have, 21 years. Oh, yeah. and then you died. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's so there terrible. Is... I'm the reverse. My husband's killing me slowly, you know. <laughs> oh my gosh. So he's 96. I, I love him to death, you know, but really enough is enough, you know, if you're really honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, if there was some humane way to yeah, put him out. I know you think, but no, you can't. You can't <laughs> right, do you can't. anything. Not, le- not legally looking after them. Yeah. Which and I are you and you're still public speaking though, so you get to oh, have yes, yes. life I do, away from I do home. because having this, having having my public speaking, gives me such a lift. You know, I go out, I travel, I go, you know, maybe a hundred miles from home and speak to you know a hundred, couple of hundred women, and and I love it. You know, and men as well, but mainly it's ladies, ladies lunch clubs, book, you know, people. It's it's just a very good. I have my I have an, an agent, of course. I've had her for twenty one years. And she sends me all over the country and it's really good. Wow. What do, you, nice. do you have a topic that you speak on or do you get hired? Oh, yes, for I, things? Talk. My, I, have, I just have three talks. My first one's about my bluebell days, about reminiscences of a bluebell girl. And the second one is called about my flying days, because, of course, I became a B-O-A-C, B-A-S stewardess. And that one's called Flying High Throughout the 60s. But the alternative title is Why I Refused a Date with Cary Grant. <laughs> I because love that part. When so I was flying, I really did refuse a date with Cary Grant. And looking back, you know, I must be the only person in the world that ever did that. <laughs> and maybe it was such a boo-boo. I'd be a millionaires now if I'd married him, of course, because... You know, (laughs) and then my third talk is about my being artistic director of the the Grassington Festival, Music and Arts Festival, because we I did that for 18 years. And I went to Buckingham Palace, you know, and got an MBE from the Queen. There's a photo of that in your book, which is amazing. Yes. yes, When I went. Yes. Yes. So did people were you. When you talk about bluebells in your own area, do they know the yeah. bluebells or do you have to tell them? Because I know that era is kind of gone, but I feel no. like England appreciated her more than in England, America. It, yeah, in America, they wouldn't know so much unless people knew about Las Vegas, you know, or New Paris. But in England, they know. They know what bluebell girls are, definitely. There was a huge television program on the BBC called Miss Bluebell, and it was um, uh, a, a docu-fiction, you know, based, uh, it was beautifully done about all her life because you know she did all sorts of amazing things and so people do know what the bluebells are in in europe always in <sighs> europe definitely <laughs> and for them to get to hear it from a real bluebell must be like yeah. really yeah exciting. they love it they love it particularly when up to 10 years ago i used to finish my talk with a very big high kick 
you know, I'd be talking away and then I'll say now, you know, I used to have to hold on to something <laughs> on, and then I could wang my leg right up in the air. <laughs> I don't oh think I can do now. <laughs> oh, yeah, I miss those days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, they fun. <laughs> so you normally when I interview people, we talk about, you know, their, their dance days. They, you know, were ballerinas at three years old. That's uh, a little bit more of the generations after. But I know like in the earlier days, a bluebell. Yeah. It wasn't. You didn't have to be a prima ballerina. But no. what got? Can you share what got you into got, dance? And then read from your book about your audition because I love that part to hear. You know, like I'm, I auditioned for Miss Bluebell like at a cattle call in the '80s, and that was kind of the end of her being so involved, at least in the shows here. And so I oh, love hearing right. the stories of people that actually worked with Miss Bluebell oh, yes. close, closer at hand. Oh, very well. Shall I tell you a nice little story that always used to happen? It happened at least twice. When my husband and I, we traveled, we used to travel a huge amount, you know, and we were often somehow in Paris. Whenever we were in Paris, I always wanted to go to the Lido to see the show, of course. And so I always remember just bowling up to the Lido with my husband one evening and saying, could we have a table for two? And the maitre d' was there, you know, and he looked and he said, oh, on a plan, on a plan, you know, we're full, we're full. You know, it looked at me as if I was crazy because we hadn't booked. And I sort of looked and I said, oh, my goodness. And then I said, ah, mais je suis une ancienne bluebell. I'm an ancient bluebell. <laughs> and he said, oh, ça change tout alors, ça change tout. That changes everything. That changes everything, he said. And with that, we got the best table in the house. <laughs> it oh. happened twice as well over a period of 15 years. It was really, it was so super. And Miss Bluebell would always, and I'd say to the maitre d', all in French, of course, will you come out and tell me, will you tell Miss Bluebell I'm here? Because she remembered me from Las Vegas because we were the first show. And I used to translate and uh, because I spoke fluent, fr I speak French and, you know, English. And so I was a, a big translator. So she remembered me and she'd always come out and see me. It was lovely. Oh. <laughs> well, that's also the before you. Bluebell is the nice I thing. love the ancient. Which ancient Bluebell. That's what you say when you go to the Lido. Oh, I'll Bluebell. <laughs> also, before you were a Bluebell, you did go to Paris, and that's where you were learning French. You, you did something ah, yes. before you became... Was I, was au pair. I was an au pair, yeah. yes. Yeah. I looked after my families. I had two, I had two, you know. The first one was when I went to Montpellier when I was about 18, 19, I think. And I'm mother and father and three children and everything should have been all right with this family. It could have been and should have been perfect. But there was an alien object in the family, you know, the alien object being a baby. And I didn't know what to do with a baby. I was kittens and puppies and goldfish, but a baby was beyond my capabilities. And I was tired after nine days. How old were you? I was nine, just about 19 and yeah. a half then. Yeah. And you got, you got that travel bug started. Oh, yeah. Oh, course golly, yes. I, knew from, I knew from, you know, being at school that I would see the whole world. Yes. I never any doubt in my mind. Mm. So do you want me to try and read something, Sherry? Yeah. I would love to read about when you audition. I think it starts uh, out in all capitals on page 16. Uh, let me I'd see. Love... Uh, oh, yes. I saw, I saw it here. Say... Oh, yes. I say, by now I was 20 years old and had not been to America. There did not seem to be any way to get to America. Again, as in Cambridge, I was not a neurophysicist or a famous film star, 
and in America still did not seem to need dizzy English au pairs, and there didn't seem to be a shortage of hotel receptionists, because that's what <laughs> I <did. laughs> And so, oh yes, they wait a minute, and then, uh, oh yes. Oh, I met Miss Bluebell and her agent, and she, uh, and she took all my particulars. She was about five feet five maximum tall, and I towered over her, but she seemed very kind. I did a few pirouettes and moves, and then she asked me into a small room and asked me to take my sweater off in order to look at my boobs. At this stage, I really did not know they were topless showgirls. I think she managed to get a special special license for them to move in Las Vegas. <laughs> then there was no going back all over the world. <laughs> I have to think a claim to fame could be being the first topless moving showgirl in the world. Actually, the second, because the choreography, because of the choreography, Ruby, our star dancer, came out first and I opened the show. I followed with Katinka on one side of the stage and me on the other. And then the whole show started. The room rocked when the Americans saw moving topless showgirls. <laughs> <laughs> because before that, I want to come back to it. It was like the, the nudes were still the like that was a thing. They were mannequins. Yeah, they were like, yeah, they just stood still. And, and now they're moving. <laughs> uh, anyway, so then I auditioned for Miss Bluebell. Do you want me to read that? Yes, one? please tell about that or read that, yeah. My audition was going well, and Miss Bluebell asked me if I would sign the contract there and then on the spot, and I had the pen in my hand and was about to sign when I suddenly had some doubts and said, would you mind terribly if I went and spoke to my mother first? because I was, I was uh, just over uh, just 20 then. By now I was in a state of controlled hysteria. Um, the excitement was overpowering. I flew up the steps of the studio and rushed down Shaftesbury Avenue and leapt down into the underground, the, the subway station, to dial my mother in Grassington. She answered very quickly. This is 1957, you know, phone calls, everything was so different. I was screaming at her, mummy, mummy, I just auditioned for Miss Bluebell and she wants me to go to Las Vegas. Can I go to Las Vegas? Can I go to Las Vegas? Can I sign the contract? It's only for six months. Mummy replied in her calm tone, where is it, dear? <laughs> and I said, it's in America, it's in America. And then I said, Miss Bluebell is coming to Yorkshire to the Queen's Hotel and you can meet her in a couple of weeks. And so mummy said, don't sign anything. And they met her and then everything was all right. And I went. Because <laughs> you had even said they're afraid that they might sell you into the sex trade. The slave trade. Yeah, the that slave was going trade. on at the time. Yes. Yes. I had told my mother that I was father that I was going to London to audition to go to Jersey. That's one <laughs> of the Channel Islands off the south coast of England. Yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> not New Jersey. Wow. So they, they Jersey, that is interesting. Like this, like okay, you're going to America. We don't really know. Like you could be sold into slavery, or could could absolutely yes. They didn't. Wow. Know. When they met Miss Bluebell, they realized it was all very genuine. You know, yeah, all above board. And then I got to Victoria Station, and there were ten other girls on the station. We were all over five feet nine. And, and so, you know, it all started then. And then, of course, we started rehearsing in Paris. We were 28 Bluebell girls. 
There were 22 English, two French, two German, and two Dutch. And then we had the 12 American boy dancers. They all came in from New York, Chicago, and, uh, and, and Los Angeles. And one of our lead dancers, the lead dancer in our show was called Buddy. And he, um, anybody who's seen the movie, My Fair Lady with Audrey Hepburn, when, when Eliza, Audrey Hepburn, goes to the ball and dances with the prince, that's Buddy, our lead dancer. And he married Carol. Now, Carol was one of the very sophisticated dancers who came from Rome to join the Bluebells in Paris to be in our show. And there were about six of them. And they had been working for the best part of a year almost on Cleopatra, the movie with Richard Burton and Elizabeth yeah, Taylor that went on for years and went millions and millions and millions of dollars over budget. And that's when Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton got together, of course. But uh, she, anyway, Buddy in the, from My Fair Lady married Carol, who's one of the big dancers in, the Cle in um, Cleopatra. <laughs> and this is the original Stardust, the first Bluebell oh, show yes, to come yes. to America. Like you guys are yes. like the legends. 19, July, 1958, we opened. I mean, do you want, shall I read you the first well, thing about when we I opened? Wanted, well, there was something while you're in Paris I thought was interesting about the costumes being created and the customers uh, wanting to uh, make sure everything was perfect, but so that when they came to America, their their yeah. craftsmanship would be what That's it was supposed right. to be. So you yeah. were having like your costumes made in Paris, the rehearsals are in Paris, and then everything came over. Two airplanes, two airplanes took all the human beings and the other airplane took all the costumes and all the scenery. The two airplanes were chartered and we went from Paris to refuel in Shannon, to Gander, to Boston, to New York, to Chicago, to Las Vegas, because there weren't jets in those days, of course. Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you're, you're getting in this okay so wherever you want to pick up because all this whole section of your book of course because we're bluebells this is the we love all this part of the creation of a show and but to be the first uh, uh it, the, it and the starting and they they were all so nervous though you know they didn't know how it was going to be received in america and then of course when we had our opening night we had the opening show and bob hope Actually, it wasn't Bob Hope. It was Milton Berle. But I used I said Bob Hope because people have not heard of Milton Berle in, in Europe. So anyway, Milton Berle, he opened the show. And after we'd finished, I remember he came on stage. He came walking from the wings and we were still standing there on stage, all in full costume and everything. And he got down on his knees in front of us all and he made his hands and he bowed and touched his head, touched the floor of the stage three times. And he stood up and he said, this is the greatest import to America since Scotch whiskey. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Was this the first time? Top was this the first topless show in Vegas too? Uh, or had there no, been I anything been before? Some, I think that somebody told me there'd been some tacky things down the strip or somewhere, you know, where they some uh, some of these road houses or what they used to have out in the desert, where it used to say, which always amused us all tremendously, it used to say, "Live showgirls." <laughs> and I, I remember saying to somebody, as opposed to what? Dead right. <laughs> I have thought that too, like when the live show. Live like, show yeah, what's the alternative? What's the alternative to live show? <laughs> There's some mar marquee, I don't know if it was Vegas or maybe it was Seattle, it says like 100 or it's like 20 of the most beautiful showgirls and one ugly one. Like that was on their marquee. <laughs> 
was like, okay, that gets your attention. So, I, so this was the first Bluebell show. So this is the first really classy yeah. spectacle oh, on the strip, exactly. right? Yeah, Stardust, absolutely. Did I the Stardust build the showroom for this, or was was of this? Of course, everything the whole was created. Stage for this. was specially built for it. You know, with we had the ice rink on stage and the swimming pool, and we came out over the audience on and discs coming out of the ceiling. I mean, it was it's so unbelievably sort of naff now, but in those days it was it was revolutionary. People go, oh, oh, you know, the, oh, seeing all these showgirls coming down on these discs over the heads, over the heads, and they're all looking up from the dining you know it was price it was really something so i know there's pictures of you on the plane uh getting off the plane yeah so the pre- but the press knew this was coming there's probably a oh, build God, up yeah. to it so what was that like when you arrive i'm sure after oh. hours and hours of flying and now you have oh, to be yeah. beautiful and ready to be photographed and well, Miss know, in that photo does she fly was- with you or meet you there miss bluebell yeah, she she was on the plane with us. Okay, and so you Pierre Louis the director of the owner, the the Lido, and all the the musicians, the, the artistic director, the the costume designer Falco, you know, the costume, the famous costume designer. They were all on the plane with us. Everybody who 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 made the whole thing happen in Paris. Wow, they got this huge contract to go to Paris. But when we arrived, we were only going to be there for six months, and then after Milton Berle and this whole. thing, Thing when they realized they had the, the biggest smash hit they've ever seen in Las Vegas on their hands. About three days later, we were all brought into the Stardust and the contract, new contracts. We had to sign for a year. And we were being paid phenomenally well, you realize. Far more. The girls in the Copacabana in New York were going to go on strike because we were getting paid almost twice what they were getting paid in New York. It was unbelievable. Wow. <laughs> can, can you I don't I forgot which page that was but just yeah. your arrival of what it was like of like where they where they housed you what you what you oh, had yeah. well, all well, the stuff that the happened time, the first yeah. I, I just wrote uh, the 2nd of July 1958 and, and I wrote dearest mummy daddy Anne and Roger that's my brother and sister I'm writing this during a break in the rehearsal as the air conditioning is not prop- working properly we started rehearsing at 6 p.m and we'll go on until 6 a.m. It is cooler to work at night. And as there's so much to do, we're rehearsing 12 hours a day. The journey was not too bad, I suppose. From Paris to New York, we had dinner and lots of champagne and I managed to sleep a a little. We arrived in New York and had to face a battery of cameras. And then we were whisked by coach to the San Moritz Hotel overlooking Central Park for lunch. Doug, one of the American boy dancers, took us to see Broadway in Times Square, and we went into a drugstore and had a soda. No idea what that was, (laughs) what I was talking about here. But then I put in brackets, lemonade with ice cream. Very nice. (laughs) After that, back to the airport and on to Chicago. I sat in the cockpit for landing and saw Chicago and Lake Michigan from the air. And that's when I realized I wrote in here, There were 28 glamorous girls on board the plane and I managed to talk my way onto the flight deck and realize I could later become an air stewardess when I didn't know what else to do. And so then we went on to Las Vegas. We arrived at 1 a.m. with spotlights and television cameras and the hot desert air hit us immediately. We were taken straight to the Stardust and I slept until two the next day. 
Uh, and then it goes on and on. Las Vegas is simply incredible. This morning we went to the Desert Inn Hotel for breakfast at 5.30 and the place was still packed with tables and slot machines going like mad. Every hotel is huge with beautiful swimming pools, just as you see them at the cinema. It is very, very hot and 115 degrees, but as it's dry, it is tolerable and every building is air conditioned. And then I go on and talk about the sheriffs, you know, with their guns in their holsters. We'd never seen guns before coming to America. Yeah, uh, and then I talk about the mafia, of course. Shall I just read that bit about the yeah, mafia? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. 95th Las Vegas. Um, uh, oh, oh, then I wrote, the show opens on the 2nd of July and the Bob Hope is going to be the master of ceremonies, which, you know, I told you about. Las Vegas, La Las Vegas, um, the whole town was controlled by the mafia. It was said anyone could walk stark naked down the strip wearing diamonds and pearls and no one would rob them. People were far more afraid of the mafia the, uh, than the police. One of the girls I lived with, Linda, had a delightful boyfriend, slightly older than herself, shall we say, of Italian extraction, extremely rich and quite charming. I would often make him a cup of tea if the kettle was on the boil. 35 years later, I found he was one of the biggest bo bosses, one of the biggest mafia bosses in Vegas and had been responsible for putting people in concrete boots and burying them in the desert. <laughs> and you were giving him tea. And I'm giving oh. him a cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was unbelievable. Well, you also described Vegas, like, because I there are the bright lights, because it's like the dunes, like I'm thinking all those iconic yeah. hotels, but then there's like yeah. sections where it was just tumbleweed. So oh, it wasn't yeah. like now, yeah. it's just concrete forever in like your city. Mass, I know. But there, there was, I mean, one time, I don't know if I mentioned it in the book, but we lived, stayed at the Bally High Apartments, which were about three or 400 yards from the Stardust across the strip, right? And there was a big patch of uh, open ground. And so I'd leave the Bally High to go to the Stardust and had to walk across this big patch of open ground. And one Sunday, Sunday it would have been because we'd done three shows on Saturday night and hadn't finished till 2.30 in the morning. I went to bed at maybe four o'clock in the morning, right? And I woke and had to be in the theater for seven, 7.15. And I woke up and my goodness, it was quarter to seven. So I jumped out of bed, threw my clothes on and started walking across the desert. And as I'm walking across the desert, I suddenly stopped dead. And I just say to myself, probably out loud, actually, I just looked and I said, the sun is in the wrong place. <laughs> it was seven o'clock in the morning. I've been asleep for three hours. <laughs> oh my gosh oh that's so good wow because was the strip the strip was just casinos right because now well, there's be houses casino, and corporate be a casino and, and then a wide open space where there wasn't anything just a lot of tumbleweed and cactus and things you know and wide open and we could have bought land there if we'd been advised properly we should have oh bought man we worth so much money. enough money to buy land you know we girls had if we'd been advised, my God, when I think about it. <laughs> but so it, you, was a, you, it was a cowboy town. It was a hick town. Yeah, that's so interesting. Cowboy, cowboy and mafia, it's an interesting combination. Yeah. <laughs> so the people people come to Vegas, they stay in the hotels, they leave, and now there's 
but for you guys, were you living close to the strip? Did they put you up in apartments or did you have to oh, well, find yes, your own? Yes, I stayed. Yeah, we were very close to the strip. Yes, yes. We were, I mean, uh, there was nowhere else to go, really. Was I, I, I was at the Bally High Apartments and then moved to um, just down from El Rancho Vegas. You turn right and then there was a big housing complex. And I, myself and three girlfriends bought, moved into a house there. And I had a car. I was always the first one to get a car, of course. Yeah. Uh, your story within to your a couple dad of days okay uh yeah <laughs> harry belafonte william bendix dan daly eddie fisher debbie reynolds clark gable milton bell frank sinatra ava gardner rock hudson Cary grant to name a few so oh. it's evidently the talk of hollywood and all the stars are flying up especially to see it we were all invited en masse to Milton to Eddie Fisher's birthday party. And <laughs> Debbie Reynolds and Ava Gardner were there and lots more stars. And it goes on to da 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 And then on this, 5th of October, on Saturday night for the second show, we had a little excitement in the form of Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Peter Lawford, David Niven and Cary Grant, all sitting ringside, the Rat Pack boys. <sighs> Uh, Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin were really sloshed <laughs> and made quite good signs <laughs> at the boys and being generally obnoxious. But Frank Sinatra then came backstage after and said he had never enjoyed a show, a show more and thanked us all most generously. David Niven came too and he was so charming and so English and it was so nice to hear a male English accent again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So that's that. <laughs> yeah. This was kind of like the height of the Rat Pack, isn't it? Like where yeah, Frank Sinatra yeah. was in Vegas a lot and headlining. That was kind of his his yeah, big see, years, right? Sammy Davis, you know, they were all playing in Vegas up and down the strip. Yeah, I read Sammy Davis's autobiography not that long ago because I worked in Reno in the 80s. He came to our show oh, and he right. bought champagne. And almost everybody who worked in Vegas has stories about Sammy Davis. Junior uh -huh. coming to the show or yeah. having parties and how he loved show people and uh -huh. hearing what happened to him in those with racism and how he could perform yeah. but have to go out the back. And so to hear how gracious he was yeah. with entertainers and how the it's, entertainers loved him because he was like, oh, these are yeah, my people. That's they so nice. That's so he's such a good guy. It was like, um, um, uh, not Johnny Mathis, who was the one that came? Harry, uh, Harry Belafonte, was it? Who came? Well, you told about Johnny Mathis about what happened. You talked about Johnny, yeah, but who who's the one that um, they wouldn't? Nat King Cole, Nat King oh, Cole, yeah, and they wouldn't let Nat in to see us. Yeah, I have all that in the book. It was wow. terrible, terrible that I, I, you can't believe how they could have how it was. You know, apartheid in America. It was like in South Africa at that time. It was so yeah. cool. You know, yeah. Yeah, oh, that's right. This is the 27th of... Do you want me to read this? About sure. Absolutely, yeah. It's good to hear it from your book. Nothing much seems to be happening except last Saturday night, Nat King Cole came in to see the third show and Enid invited him back, backstage afterwards to meet the girls, but the security guards and big bosses wouldn't allow him to and there was an uproar. In America, colored people are treated very differently we naturally thought it was very unfair and very rude of the Stardust to treat a big artist like Nat King Cole with such little respect. 
Also, one girl in the one girl in the Italian number shouted out "Viva Russia" instead of "Viva Napoli," and it nearly got her fired. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow. Uh, so you you knew the the mob presence was there, did? Because I know later on there's stories where they were a little bit more like the girls were getting gifts and offerings. Was uh, that yeah. happening already? Oh, no, honestly, Sherry, this is the difference between us and the shows that came in later because we were we were amateurs a lot of us you know we weren't professional there were a lot of girls who'd never been in a show before and 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 it, it, we were like so very what you call in england we call you jolly hockey sticks we were all jolly girls none of us none of them were on the game or anything like that I mean, they. I really would absolutely so sure about that, but it changed over the years, evidently, because Miss Bluebell, with us being the first show, she was incredibly strict. She didn't want us. She evidently had a clause in the contract that we had not to go out really with with any of the clear with any of the customers. You know, we weren't allowed to sit with them really. She made it. Yeah. She made it about that, we were because they here. Yeah, because you hear later, years later, the girls are expected to go out in the casino yeah. and sit at the tables and exactly. fraternize. Like, and yeah. especially yeah. that sounds very scary uh, to have that yeah. be expected. That was so really you, never happened with us. What mm. was your life like in Vegas? Like, I know some of you, you know, you had uh, male suitors who were all yeah, you know, well, I pursuing had to do, you. I had, I had the most delicious boyfriend there from about the second week I was there, you know. Oh, wow. <laughs> He saw me off on the plane, so I didn't really, um, and I was going to go back and marry him, of course, but then uh, life got in the way, and marriage seemed a very uninteresting thing to do, really. (laughs) So he was absolutely lovely. I went back five years later and saw him, uh, and then I went back again when I had my son, you see, and he was was absolutely wonderful. (laughs) Really? Wow, this weird. of my era will know exactly who I'm, who I'm talking about. Okay, <laughs> well, yeah. That's a, really? Yeah, his photographs <laughs> in the book. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's, um, yeah. I love yeah, that part yeah. of the Yeah, that, yeah. And so we, for you, if you had gotten married, say, in Vegas, like, you wouldn't have gone on to keep traveling. You weren't done traveling, right? So marriage oh, might no, have been, like, no. that's going to stop all the fun. I didn't get married for another 15 years, you see. I didn't get married until I was 36. And I had my son wow. at 38. <laughs> wow, good for you. <laughs> so there was there were some letters i'm trying to i lost the page because my paper fell out there's letters that you write to your parents that are those are the make, ones making me laugh out loud of just it's that sweet innocent naivete um i mean even when you have all this money and you're figuring out what to get people for christmas that's fun. exactly all that yeah, yeah. in christmas presents i can hardly think of anything i know i would like a big box of smarties and some quality street toffees and Cadbury's Roses chocolates. Sweets in America are a bit off, to say the least. Because yeah. <laughs> they weren't, yeah. <laughs> That's true. And that bit about Susan and I going to Los Angeles. And when we, were, we went, we hired a car and drove down to Mexico, you know. And then coming back, I, I was driving, of course. And coming back, I found I was going away from the Los Angeles airport. And I wrote, driving back to Los Angeles airport should have been all right. But we found we were going away from the airport and I was obliged to make a U-turn. 
which on an eight lane Los Angeles <laughs> feet. <laughs> I can't imagine that I did that. You know, you wouldn't bat an island. Yeah, you did it. And right, we're still playing to packed houses and New Year we have to do three shows and they're all sold out. Over Christmas, they were packing 1,000 into the showroom, which only holds 800. Can you imagine fire regulations <laughs> allowing that? <laughs> There's things now that would not be allowed. So no. the show is always full, right? You, you were oh, just... we never had an empty seat. People used to, I used to, Bill used to tell me that people would call or, or, or write in, from, from Tokyo and, and Cape Town and Sydney saying that they'll stay at the Stardust providing they can get tickets for the Lido show. Otherwise, they'd go somewhere else. Oh, Seriously. wow. So the news was, was all over. Did you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Was were, were things coming back through the news in your hometown? So your your people that you knew are seeing you in this. Uh, 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 not tremendously, because okay. Bluebell girls in England were not as famous as the Tiller girls, because the Bluebells were always in France, and it seemed like the press weren't very interested. But they knew that we were there and they knew it was being successful. But um, we didn't have the press in England, not not as we did. You know, I, I did this big interview for CBS, you know, coast to coast television. I'm just looking in my book and remembering that. Yeah, uh, it was a it was a very good time. And then when I left there, of course, I went, a new show came in, you know, the two aeroplanes were chartered again and the new show came in and we went back on the same two planes yeah and wow, the whole, did the whole cast all come and go cast, together all the, show, all the scenery everything back on the plane again lock stock and barrel oh that's so yeah. interesting because there's a picture oh. on page 34 where we're leaving las vegas look at page 34 isn't that sweet weren't we so pretty then oh look at there's some beautiful pictures ah they're so amazing yeah. It was a good, it was, it was really amazing. Did you stay in touch with your Bluebell friends, like your Stardust uh, days? Or? Yes, I've, I've stayed in touch with, with most of them have died, of course. <laughs> but uh. Uh, uh, who am I in touch with? Um, the sister of um, one of the girls, Annette, who was with us, her sister lives next door to my sister here in the village in, in, in Yorkshire. So that's nice. And Ruby, I used to know. Ruby was our lead dancer in Vegas, and she was very nice. Um, but she's not well now. And um, but I, I used to see her all the time for years and years and years. Yeah, yeah, good times. Yeah, when it's such a what a way to start out your adult life is you get to yeah. travel and it was even like the letter the show is still very successful. Jane Russell was in the other night. Jane Powell, Kate Starr. Yeah. Yeah, Most people yeah. in Vegas have seen the show at least twice. And yeah. one of the director's wives has seen it 14 times. Her husband, 42 times. <laughs> Every, wow. Everything is getting very festive here. And it's Thanksgiving in two weeks. It's just a big feast with turkey, et cetera. Because <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know what it was. I know. Yeah. You're getting used to like police officers with guns and cowboy yeah. town. And what a yeah. shock. There's a girl that's in my era. That she said in the dressing room, the British girls would go on about the biscuits because we call them cookies, but they're like, no good biscuits in America. And yeah. she said they talked about all the time. She goes, we have like shelves of cookies here. You can't find one cookie. So she got anyway, her story is so funny, but she said the British girls would 
talk about what they missed back home. But back like, home, smart digestive, digestive biscuits. <laughs> I know what they're talking about. Could you find good tea? Uh, oh in, yes, in America? Well, I, t- I wrote about the chuck wagons that they had. You know where you where you can eat for eighty nine cents, and you can go back six times if you like. That's what used to start us. I can see it now. I can see. It. I can see something else as well. You know, we had so much money, so we were always buying clothes and things. And I always remember I bought this absolutely gorgeous dress and I went swanning to the door of the restaurant and there was this great big chuck wagon and the, you know, all the food. And there was damned Enes wearing exactly the same dress as me. (laughs) (laughs) I was furious. Because you have your life is to do a show. And then were you out, were you out doing like expected to do kind of like you have to be dressed up when you go outside. You can't go yes, out. And like, yeah. You they to, like you, you be, to be. Yeah. So your money yeah. for getting to be, yeah. get nice clothes. And that was kind of all you had oh. to spend your money on. Right. And yeah, just that, that's eat. right. So we should have been buying land instead of that was buying damn clothes all the time. <laughs> and it was ridiculous when I look back. How did you go home with more suitcases than you came with or did you? Oh, yes, I think I did. Yes. <laughs> and, and quite a bit more money. I did manage to save a bit, but I think I only started saving in the last month or something, you know, because it was it was unbelievable. I don't know where we I mean, talk about frittering money away. It was ridiculous because we were getting one hundred and seventy five dollars a week. That was a lot of money in those days. Yeah. That, yeah, it was a lot of money in those wow. days. Yeah. Wow. You multiply that by. 10 or 15 I think now you know it was a lot oh really <laughs> yeah. so did they did you know the show like they extend it like longer but the show was going to close no matter what even if it was sold out it wasn't yes, going to stand yes, like it does yes, these days. because they've been rehearsing and got the other show ready you see but then when they did this when they did the second show as I said they it stayed for years it's certainly three years yeah it did but, well, then but, you see, but with us, we were an unknown experiment. They didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, six months ago ah. was a ridiculous thing. It, it could have stayed there for another five years. You know, it's still been sold out every night. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Because you see Jubilee that ran like 35 years, like they just kept going. That's it. That's really amazing to think of all that money for six months because now they want to yes, get yes. every dime out of it. Yeah, exactly. I know. So, I, I, it's weird that. Yeah. Yeah. Did they, uh, was there an offer to do another show or this was? Well, like- we, 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 I, t- I think I mentioned it in the book, you know, when we were there, I think in, in February or March, we were going to, going to go to Cuba to the, um, what's it called in Cuba? The Copacabana, it's the Copacabana, it's the Copa in New York and it's the same in Cuba, in Havana. And we were going to go there and everybody got very excited because it was supposed to be fabulous at the time, you know. And then of course, Fidel Castro came along within a month yeah. of, of us oh, hearing wow. going to go to Cuba and Fidel came and of course Cuba changed and then also we were going to go to New York they had the rumors that were going around that we were going to go to New York and to be on some big theater off Broadway uh, and that didn't materialize either but I'm, I'm, I'm glad in, in retrospect I'm glad it didn't for me because um, you know I went to Beirut after that with the Doris girls for a year, I lived in Beirut in the Lebanon, in the Middle East, and that was with another big show. So that was fabulous too. I I love that part because I know some other people in the '80s are going to go Beirut, and then with the war, because a lot of us only know Beirut as after as a war. war. 
Oh. And so to hear to hear how beautiful and that it really was like the, oh, the it was gorgeous, most glamorous vacation destination. And Absolutely. a lot of it's like, wait, it's hard to imagine because we've only heard heard of a, a war torn country. Yeah. yeah, horrible. Breaks so my we, heart. Breaks my heart. When I yeah. that. It's horrible because I can visualize it all so clearly. Yeah. It never really came back at all. No, right? no. So, I mean, it was called the Switzerland of the Middle East, you know, at that time. It really was. It was it was the food, the climate, the scenery, the people. Everything was so lovely there. It just it was such easy, uh, an easy life. And then it, it all blew up, though. You know, 1974, the, 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 the war started in the Lebanon. Terrible. It's never been the same since. And now it's even worse than it's ever been because there are like uh, there's another half the population is refugees now living in the Lebanon. It's appalling. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so you were a Doris girl, meaning Doris from the Moulin Rouge? Uh, probably. That, was she from the Moulin Rouge? Yeah. Well, Doris, there's yeah. the Doris girls. Yeah. So there's Bluebell and Doris and some overlap. That's so you, right. Yeah. Well, that was the Doris. Yeah. Miss Doris. We were only six English. They were mainly German. Yeah. Really? And French. Was it the yeah. same kind of a show? Like a, yeah, a cabaret? Oh, yeah. Same all over again. Yeah. And I had another boyfriend there. He bought me oh. a car within a month. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, the lovely day. He saw me off when I left. <laughs> I love that. You didn't attach, so you can go to the next thing. Did you just think, okay, I'm I'm done with my showbiz life? Because I know you were already leaning towards being a flight. Was it well, called yes. flight and flight hostess, stewardess? I know the well, names it was a changed. stewardess in those stewardess days. Stewardess back then. Yeah. Stews, yeah. But yes, I mean, I wanted to see the rest of the world. You know, I wanted to go to Australia and South America and Hong Kong. And so I became a stewardess. But I, 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 I say in the book, you know, I, I did audition um, interview for Pan Am. But of course, I was not accepted because uh, discrimination. Too tall. Yeah. Too tall. Too tall. <laughs> yes. Like in those days, world. you had to be, you know, five feet two to five feet eight. And that was it. And I'm five ten. And I was five ten and a half. Oh, wow. So, so, but BOAC, British Airways, they took me. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting seeing the pictures of the bluebells getting off the plane. Like, I don't know if you were told what to wear. Yeah. It's kind of that monochromatic, very sleek, but it is the flight attendants back there. It was almost like fashion models as well. Like to be yeah, a flight attendant, yeah. is, you had to be right. how the, the outfits of the uniforms oh, were so yeah. classy. Yeah, and yeah. so... That kind of was a nice transition. It wasn't how it is now. It was you, in the 60s. You know, I mean, I flew throughout the whole of the swinging 60s and I made the 60s swing. I mean, <laughs> I make no bones about it. I did. I was one of the biggest dolly birds in London, you know. <laughs> I, I like in your book how you... I just like, it's not irreverent, but the way you talk, because you were living your life more of a modern woman than that time. Yeah. really was seeing and it just felt you just you were carefree and you just did what you wanted to do exactly and then just, you could yeah and just in the backdrop of what a lot of women would have been doing back then that you were having your love affairs oh be like and you're not there's not the shame attached to what that can be mm. it's wonderful like the freedom that you had and like now I'm going to travel and now I've done that enough I want to do this and I yeah. can love someone and I'm going to go do what I want after it's really it feels <laughs> really empowering especially when you think think of <laughs> well, what I, the generation of women really didn't have that vision to go out and no. do what they want to do and make it happen well some did you know there were enough of us that were paving the way <laughs> but I've been a feminist I think since I was 12 years old you know 
<laughs> I really have. <laughs> and did your parents, because you say, I want to travel or dance, and your parents weren't like, hey, do something, stay here, or were they just like... Oh, no, hey. yeah, they were... Th- th- I never realized, but evidently all the years that I flew for 10, and, I flew for 10 and a half years, and all those years, my, my mother was evidently terribly anxious and worried, you know, the whole time. I never knew it. She never told me. But, wow. I mean, one time I got ill in Hong Kong. I got seriously ill. I was three days in hospital and intravenously fed. And evidently the person from the airline in London right, telephoned my mother from London to the Yorkshire Dales. And she, she came on the phone and she said to my mother, she said, she said, your daughter's in hospital in Hong Kong but it's all right she's not going to die <laughs> and my mother nearly collapsed you know oh my gosh. conversation but you know that sort of thing happened <laughs> I think yeah like I, I think of myself at 20 I wasn't that young when I moved to Vegas yeah. and my parents reaction but now being a parent myself and imagining my daughter at that age, like, of course I would be worried and I'd want her to do what she wanted, but it's interesting from the parent, when you're a parent to think of like, Oh dear God, (laughs) my daughter is like being wined and dined in Vegas and like what America is with guns. Yeah. yeah. But (sighs) how many children have you got, Sherry? I've got two. Oh, have you? And my daughter helps me with the podcast. She, cause I, the technology part, Oh, she sets so it good. up, she gets it loaded on iTunes and helps with that. So it's it's really so fun to tell my kids the story of that because I think <laughs> I was pretty are conservative. They, are they at all interested? Most kids today don't know no. what we're talking about. Yeah, my, my daughter is, I think, because I'll share, like, after I've had an interview, I'll tell her things. And yeah. I think it is, like, she likes the stories of women doing this life that was not yeah. conventional. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, tell her I'm very much, I've been on all the big demonstrations, anti-nuclear. I don't like nuclear weapons. I've seen and some I've of your posts. All yeah. the big, uh, big demonstrations and we do, I do all sorts of things like that. <laughs> but well, I was the third daughter as well. You know, my, my parents had two other daughters and I was the third. So I was the one that broke out. <laughs> well, and it's yeah. really great to see you are still active. You're still vibrant. You're still um engaged in the world well, because I'm, I, I'm, I'm 84 now but sometimes I think I'm 44 but sometimes I think I'm 104 right. <laughs> <laughs> but I still feel I still feel very good which is I'm very lucky very very lucky I've got you know I've got um, an exercise video on YouTube as well yeah if you go to yeah. YouTube and put my name in my exercise video will come up now you have to watch it because at five minutes it runs for six minutes I'm afraid I didn't know what I was doing when I did it but at five minutes I give some very very important information and you must watch it okay <laughs> I'm not so gonna tell you what it is okay I will be right on that so okay. also for people, for people to find your book, how do they, cause I think uh, I had messaged you and then I ordered, or I ordered it without you knowing. And then I told you I bought it. Um, so I found it because I think you posted a link. So when this web, this episode comes out, I want to put any links if you want to share those for people uh, to buy your right. book. Yeah. Well, it, it, you can get it on Amazon. Amazon do have it. And, okay. and then also my www.rowenaharkaleader.co.uk that's okay. the, the, my website and you can certainly get it on my website do you have paypal in america mm-hmm. PayPal. yeah you do you use paypal yeah and you can do, do international use, do people use it a lot or, or um, do you I use a credit so. card 
We, a lot of people do PayPal to not do the credit card. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I know I've done it international because I've actually like hired some dancers from the Lido current cast to teach on Zoom for my students. And like I got yeah. to pay them through PayPal. I'm like, oh, this is so convenient uh, that we can yes. do this international. Oh, yes. Well, you can get it certainly with PayPal on my website or Amazon as well, as I say. It's a um, wonderful read. And I hope people read it because it oh, is it's the, it's the romance. It's the glamour of that. And then. And the fashions, don't forget the, the fashions. fashions and the pictures are wonderful. Well, your cover with you with the black gloves and yeah, the sunglasses. So 1963 like... in New York. So class. And that was just when you had that, that layover, right? Before you came to Vegas? Uh, oh, no, not at all. That's no, different. That's when I'm flying. I was starting oh, flying. Just too. when you're a stewardess. That's with my Italian boyfriend, who was the famous photographer in Carnegie Hall. Oh, my gosh. It's, what a life. So as we're wrapping up, I yes. have a question. Like, what do you think of your time with the Bluebell Dancers and being in Vegas did to, to, that carried into your life afterwards? Like a lot of people learn, there's things that not just being a dancer, but there's things that they learn being a Bluebell that is translated into business or other things in their life. Uh, golly, I don't know. Business, um, I, I, I wasn't, uh, business was not really my bag at all. But I mean, being a bluebell, just working with so many girls and getting on with so many people and enjoying everybody, you know, so many different people that you met and, 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 and worked with all the time. I mean, you know, you just, you get go, great friendships grow, don't they? Oh. And and everybody's young together and having a great time, but working hard as well. Because the English girls work very hard, you know, that's why Miss Bluebell, the, the majority of the Bluebell girls are English. You know, she won't take the French or the German because, you know, she always used to say the French girls have long bodies and short legs. The German girls have short bodies and long legs, but the English are perfectly balanced. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I actually work harder. That. We work hard as and well. And you did say she knew she could rely on you to when you rely, get out of the exactly, country. Yeah, the work ethic yeah. is not just been when you're being Do watched. The right thing. Yeah. Um, well, and I I love that like the flight attendant part and the bluebell because I think some of us if we'd stayed in our small town, our perspective of the world and life would be very different. But when you meet people from all over and their perspective, and you see like yeah, how because yeah. that is like even on the back thing of like kindness and all that, like it really the more you see how yeah. similar and the, by traveling, that's such a gift because of. When I tell some of my younger dancers the opportunities we had that we could get paid yeah. to go dance somewhere, they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, it's not as we don't have that the same as like if you want to travel and live somewhere that the bluebell dancing life was can take just... you anywhere. You can go anywhere when you can dance. God, did you ah. still have do you have a dance school, Sherry? Do you still yeah. dance? I have you a dance do? studio in Seattle, yeah. 28 oh, years. 28 years. Yeah, still ah. made it through COVID, barely hanging on, but still going. I was in Seattle, yeah, I remember, yeah. I went to Vancouver on the train from Seattle oh, yeah. to Vancouver. Yeah. Lovely, that's oh, so beautiful. Yeah. Well, if I ever get out that way, I wanted to look you up for a cup of tea. Yes, yes. Have you Thanks. been to England? Have you been to Europe a lot? I've, I've been yes. to France a couple of times and I've, Belgium, Italy. Uh, yeah, uh, but not England. I've been not well, only Gatwick for one night on my oh, right. over flying back. I stayed in the Airbnb and it looks like quintessential 
uh, England, like Gatwick was so cute. And I stayed like the, I went to a pub and I had like the biggest piece of meat and a beer and potatoes. And I, found, I felt like I, this is an English dinner. I'm not sure. But yeah, the houses I went, okay, I'm only here one day, but it did look like what I'd hoped England would look like. That's good. I need to see more. Well, if you come and, and have a look at all creatures, great and small, because you'll see yeah. our little village there. That's exciting. It's really nice. It's a very nice place to live where I am now. Okay, mm-hmm. love. I better go. Thank you I so much. My yeah. Husband. That was lovely talking to you, Shay. You too. Call me well, ho- well, hopefully people will listen to, or get your book and, and it's a treasure. Yeah. So thank pe- you. I hope Be people well. will like my book. I think they will. I've no, haven't had a single person say they didn't like it. <laughs> no, it's a very, very so many, fun read. I'm and so we lost. need to laugh. We need to laugh exactly. and have glamour. <laughs> Don't take life too seriously. Okay, love. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.